I'm Craig Todd, and this is Craig and Company, a podcast about life, ministry, and leadership designed for everyday Christ followers who are seeking to be obedient in the everyday stuff of life as they make Jesus known. I'm excited for the journey ahead, so friends, pull up a chair, brew a cup of coffee, and let's get to talking about life, ministry, and leadership right here on Craig and Company. Hey guys, and welcome to episode three of Craig and Company. I'm your host, Craig Todd. And with me today is Danny Stevens, pastor of Crystal Springs Baptist Church in beautiful downtown Dexter, Mississippi. He's been doing ministry now for 45 years, and he's been pastoring for 37. And he's been at Crystal Springs for 18 of those 37 years. I've had the joy of serving in the same association with him uh, for three and a half years. He's one of the most humble and well-read guys that I know. And today he joins me to talk about the pastor theologian. Now, the idea of pastor theologian uh, fell out of you some time ago. It was almost impossible to separate those two, but uh, but people have tried to, and really to no avail, it's come back into the forefront in recent years. And Al Mohler, president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, wrote in an essay that every pastor is to be called a theologian. This may come as a surprise to some pastors who see theology as an academic discipline, taking during seminary rather than an ongoing and central part of the pastoral calling. Nevertheless, the health of the church depends upon its pastors functioning as faithful theologians, teaching, preaching, defending, and applying the great doctrines of the faith. I've linked that essay in the show notes, and without uh, further ado, uh, Danny, thanks for joining us. Uh, How are you? I'm doing very well, Craig. Thank you for having me, and uh, uh, just, it's a just a, a really cool thing, a blessing to come and be able to um, share with you about uh, theology, uh, which I think is pretty cool anyway. So. Yeah, and it's important. It and, is. Uh, it is indeed. And, it and is. you love doing this so much that, that you came back to do it a second time. I do. I do. Yeah. 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 I'm a glutton for punishment. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I said in, uh, in Justin's episode uh, that, that we were having to redo his and buddies and yours because of a technical issue mm-hmm. um, the first time. But uh, but you know what? We don't have that same issue uh, thus far, so far uh, yeah. on the second uh, second round of that. So, uh, Danny, let's talk about you uh, okay. for a few moments. Um, tell us about your salvation and your, uh, and your call to ministry. Well, um, I was saved when I was eight years old which was a very long time ago now. Um, I lived in Spring Hill, Louisiana, uh, mom and dad. Um, and it was a Sunday evening, and I was looking for my mother. Uh, she was not gathered with us in the living room, and when I found her, she was on her knees by her bed crying. And now I know praying. And uh, I asked her what was wrong, and she began to um explained to me and asked me questions about my feelings, my understanding. And and then, you know, while we're on our knees in the dark, she just quotes the Roman road and asked me if I would like to be saved. And I had enough light there in that little dark bedroom to know I needed Christ. And I just, in my little eight-year-old voice, said, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin and please save my soul. And he did. And uh, we got up that day, that, that night, and went to church. Um, and they were having like a youth service with uh, now Dr. Mike Harmon. And at that time, uh, Brother Mike was doing a, uh, a sermon um, all over. Uh, in fact, it has been recorded and now is on file in the Yale uh, University Archives of Religious Sermons. Uh and the name of the sermon was, What Will You Do and What Will You Tell When the Lights Go Out on the Road to Hell? And um, we got there about light number three. He had a, a little board with different light bulbs on it and different points. And then the last point, all the lights go out. You know, And it was, it was really good. And I thought, man, I'm so glad I'm saved now because that was, you know, I really need this. And so I was baptized that night by my uh, pastor, Brother Howard White. Um, years later, um, went to Central Baptist College, 
and discerned that God wanted me to go into music, youth, education. Did that for about five years and um, just began to feel a great tug toward the Word, pulling toward the Word. All of my youth Bible studies were probably a little deeper than my youth really wanted to go and uh, probably than their parents really wanted to go. But I was just infatuated uh, infatuated with that. Uh, my pastor sent me to uh, School of the Prophets at First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. And they had this young guy there. He was he was fresh and hot. He was the, you know, the new guru of church deal and a uh, little cat named John MacArthur, you know. And so I sat there and listened to him and was just enamored with, what he said, how he said it, how he, I never heard a sermon from Isaiah 5, never heard a sermon from Daniel 9, um, and it was something that was really life-changing, and I and I met MacArthur and, and told him that story, and he said, I remember being there, I thought, well, yeah, I remember too, <laughs> so um, went uh, went back, and, and, this, and this tug, this pull, this desire kept coming and kept coming. And finally, one Saturday night, I went into the uh, to our church, uh, Mount Calvary Baptist Church in Picayune, and I got in the altar, and I, I turned the lights out. I locked the doors where it's just me and God, nobody else. And I said, Lord, I'm going to do this. I don't know any other way to find peace. And I, when I said, I'm going to do this, then I had peace. And have just enjoyed um, ministry uh, since then. Um, the Lord has been most kind and most gracious to allow me to do this and to, uh, to do it for so long now. I mean, you mentioned yeah. all those years and I thought, wow, that's a long time. I didn't realize I had been around that long, but I guess I have. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you were saved on Reformation Day, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that yeah, was, proud that, of that. that was kind of a cool thing. Um, I knew it was 1965 and I knew it was October. And so I, I called my church secretary at my home church at First Baptist, and I said, can you go back and look and find my baptism date? And she said, yeah, I'll, I'll call you back in a few minutes. She called me back. She said, October 31st. Then things started falling into place. That's why they had Dr. Harmon come on Halloween night yeah. to do this for the youth. Um, and then years later, I you know realized, oh, this was Reformation Sunday. You know, there's some theology behind this connection. Yeah. So... So that was, yeah, that was kind of fun. That was kind of yeah. fun to do that. And, uh, well, before we uh, before we get into your ministry, I, I don't want to neglect uh, the fact that uh, this is not your first go with a podcast. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so you were on a uh, podcast uh, two years ago mm-hmm. called The Imperfect Church. Right. Uh, and I, I listened to that in preparation for uh, for this one. And, and there, uh, you know, there you talk a lot more uh, you know, you're, you're not talking about pastors, theologian. You are, you know, you're talking about the the practical side. And theology right. done right is practical. It so is. we're not saying is. Uh, on this podcast, uh, Danny nor myself are saying that theology is not practical. It is very practical, absolutely. Uh, and we're going to get into to to how that plays out later in this podcast. Um, but in the imperfect church, you really get into kind of the nuts and bolts of pastoral ministry. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to link that in the show notes uh, for you, our listeners. All right. So, Danny, you are uh, you're in the pastorate. You've been at Crystal Springs for 18 years, pastoring for 37 and the ministry for an entirety of 45 and still going. Uh, praise praise the Lord. The Lord. <laughs> uh, praise the Lord. Uh, so so tell us about your ministry uh, uh, as pastor. Uh, yes, yeah, pastor. Um, you know, there, there are there are. A variety of aspects of ministry, from from pastoral to um, administrative, uh, and of course the, the the theological, and they all merge together. They all merge together. My ministry, um, I, you know, if I could just sum it up, my my deal is like a funnel. I want to take whatever I can learn from God, pour it into me, and then give it to my people. Yeah, that is the gist of it. Now I. I do that in pulpit. I do that in teaching. I do that in home visits. You know, I do that in committee meetings. You know, I want my people to know God, to know him um, as the king of the universe, uh, that we serve, 
we, that we are to follow, yeah. that we are to um, obey. And so, you know, I kind of do that. I, my, my preaching ministry is uh, primarily um, expository. Um, and when I say that, uh, sometimes I, some of my friends are like, oh, man. Um, and, yeah, it takes me a while to get through, you know, about two years to get through Hebrews, you know, and, and it's, it's, an, it's an, uh, a race of endurance. It's not a sprint. But I also take breaks. I've, yeah. I've been on a break now for several several weeks this summer and coming back into John uh, 11 uh, this coming Sunday. So um, the, the preaching aspect of ministry is just where I find the sweet spot, so yeah. to speak. That's, that's, the, that's the part I really like, I, I really love. And I think I'll do all this other stuff and if they'll just let me preach, you know, if they'll just let me preach, I'll do all this other stuff. I can do that, but just yeah. let me preach. Let you preach. Right. So, there you go. so we uh, we often want to draw a dichotomy between the, uh, well, we, we want to draw a dichotomy with pastor and theologian that it's, uh, uh, well, it's just that, it's a dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but as you and I have talked before, it's really not a dichotomy because you can't separate the two. Exactly. It's, it's really one and the same. Uh, and so you, uh, you obviously uh, seek to uh, be a pastor theologian, as we all ought to seek. So, so how has that uh, played out in your own ministry, and, and how do you understand the role of pastor theologian? Well, the pastor is the theologian. Okay. Now, he, he is. The question is, is he a good one or is he a bad one? You know, is he is he doing this like God wants him to do, or is he just kind of sloughing it off? Um, and there's this is something that we should do because we love Christ, we love the Lord, and we love His church. Um, we want to explain the Bible, and we, and we cannot assume they know it. We just cannot assume that 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 they know this. And if anybody, anybody should be the one to stand up and say, thus says the Lord, it should be the pastor. I mean, he is the guy called by God. He studies his Bible, reads his Bible. He's the guy that, um, you know, should be the go-to guy when you have a question of theological importance. Plus, the theology also meshes in to every other part. Every other, I mean, your, your evangelism, your witnessing, your home visits, funerals, um, weddings, counseling, uh, Bible school. You know, theology is what drives the pastor to do what he does. So we should know it. Yeah. We should, and, and that should be an important, an important. Now, how does that play out? Um, for me, <laughs> for me, it's kind of been, uh, thrown into the deep water. Uh, had a lady in my church at, in Marvel, Arkansas, Miss Irene Meyer. She was a sweetheart. Oh, she was a sweetheart. But brother, she knew her Bible. And I was young and I was still in uh, school working on my master's. And I, you know, I thought I knew it all till I went to Wednesday night Bible study. And she raised her little small, little wrinkled hand and said, Brother Danny, I have a question. And she'd ask, she would nail me to the wall. And I said, Ms. Myers, I don't know. I'm going to have to go look that up and tell you next week. And it was, I've got to know this. My people want me to know this. You know, this is something that they want and that they need. And so, um, you know, I just I just feel like that it is part of my of my calling and my biblical mandate to um, to know this stuff. Yeah. So what's been the. uh and, and, and again, um, you know, if you have listened to the, uh, you know, if, if, if you've listened to the other two podcasts, uh, you know, then, then, then our listeners have picked up on the fact that we are, uh, we are Baptist. Yes. Uh, that does not mean I will only have, you know, Baptist on here, but thus far it's, it's been, uh, all Southern Baptist, right. uh, uh, people, uh, you know, I, I'm a Southern Baptist, uh, pastor on staff and, uh. You know, so so I believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. Oh, I, I believe in the whole uh, the whole shebang. You know, if you want to know what I believe, look at the BFM two thousand. 
Uh, I'll even link that in the show notes for you too, if, if you have no idea what I'm talking about. And, uh, you know, the truth of the matter is, um, speaking about Baptist in general here, which, uh, I, I think I can as a Baptist, uh, unfortunately, whether, whether or not this perception be right or wrong is a different story, but, uh, it, it appears to me that, that many people in the local church um, don't really desire any real theology. They mm-hmm. want kind of a pocket Jesus mm-hmm. that you can come in on Sunday morning, you can get something in 20 minutes. Uh, with, or less. Or less, you <laughs> know, right. three, three points and a poem. Quickly. And, uh, and then go about, your, go about your week, go about right. your life. And, and uh, you know, Jesus is not interested, as the comedian Mark Laurie once said he is not interested in getting any love ventricle and watching blood goes by. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wants he wants to get into all of you, uh, and because that is the case, be, be, because a lot of people don't want the theology, they don't see the point in it. What's been the and that I know that was a big round way of getting to the question, but thank you for bearing with me, <laughs> Danny. Uh, what's the biggest challenge for you as you have sought to embrace the role as pastor theologian? There there are a lot of there are a lot of roadblocks in teaching theology. Um, One of them is there's so much bad theology that our people have listened to and just kind of soaked in and just acclimated as part of their thinking. Uh, The the other thing is there's a a huge chunk of the church that are basically non-readers. Now, when I say that, I mean, they, they are literate. They can read. But as far as reading the scripture for comprehension and understanding, that's not how on their priority list. I mean, that didn't that I could be watching Dancing with the Stars or Swamp People, you know, something really important, <laughs> instead of you know reading my Bible and the the television, social media, the the gamings, shopping, sports, all of the activities that that we participate in as evangelicals in America take our time. And if you're going to enjoy and understand the theology of Scripture, you got to spend time with it. Yeah. You have got to spend some time with it. And the challenge is, um, how do we how do we make this interesting to them? And you know, when you say theology, you you say doctrine. There's a there's a multitude of people say, oh, I don't want to do that. That sounds so boring. It's so dry. And, well, pastor, it is your job to make this interesting. If you are excited about it, your people will at least see your excitement and maybe, God willing, they too will catch it and say, you know, yeah. I, I want to read that. I want to see what's going on with this. You know, I want to do this. So the challenge is crawling over these hurdles of bad theology, non-reading, and the, so, the whole social media gamut to get to the Bible and church. And over the course of time, you know, this has just not been portrayed as important, but it is important. It is essential yeah. to the ministry of the church of what we know of God and what we believe the Bible actually says. You know, and, and it's, you know, again, it's what we believe about the Bible. You know, I, mm-hmm. I think art, I think it's article one of the BFM 2000, that all scripture is inspired by God. Right. Uh, and, and that uh, it has God for its author, uh, salvation for its end. Uh, I forget how it's worded. Maybe uh, Jesus for uh, you know the subject. I, I forgot exactly the wording we used it's, there. It's pretty close. It's pretty um, close. Yeah. And and we believe that. Mm. And and you know, I know for me in my own ministry, you know this this past Wednesday, I uh, I, I talked from Mark four. Uh, Jesus calms the wind and the waves. Mm. And, and I'm actually going through a series about God's faithfulness, which is a pretty essential sure <laughs> aspect sure uh, of the faith. You know, if God isn't faithful, then we're wasting our breath. Absolutely. And, uh, and one of the things I told the students is, is I said, you know, you need to understand that, that God, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, is always with you. He mm-hmm. is never not with you. If you be in Christ, then God is always with you. You may not always feel that way. You may not always, you know, sense that he is there, but his word has said that he is there, and therefore we can take that to the bank. 
And, and that entire statement there is rife with theology, you know. And so, you know, first we say, well, his word says, well, right. now we're saying that his word is true and trustworthy. Right. We're saying that God is always present and will never not be present. And now we're saying that God is faithful and mm-hmm. that he's uh, omnipresent mm-hmm. and all the other omnis all those with other that. Ones, yep. um, and so making that theology, I think, very applicable to life. You know, let's draw a direct connection to that. Now, before we go any further, because I, I, I don't want to leave our people questioning, uh, even though I know they're thinking, oh, I can make my list right now bad theology. <laughs> uh, but but what is some bad theology that, that we find ourselves wrestling against? Um, well, let's, let's just start with the softball. Okay. Okay. Um, angels. I'm all for it. I, yeah, I know. Me too. <laughs> um, I've, I've often said in, in preaching about angels, you know, I, everybody has a guardian angel. And I want mine to look like that that workout Tybo guy, you know, with all the money. <laughs> I, want, I want a strong man. I want a big, bad dude to be my angel. Uh, but truthfully, angels, according to the book of Hebrews, it, uh, they are ministering spirits. They are able to take on an embodiment, as we see from the Old Testament and the New Testament, the appearance of angels. Um, but there are some there's some misconceptions about angels. Um, when when someone says, "Oh, there's a bell ringing," uh, another angel just got their wings. No, that's not that's not, you know that's that's really cute. Oh, and it's a wonderful life, but that's not biblical. Well, you know, someone passed away in the community. Well, I guess God just needed another angel. No, he's got plenty of angels. He's got millions of billions. According to Revelation, it is a moderate of uncountable numbers of angels that are already in heaven. So it's not like he needed another. And I understand what they're trying to say. You know, this guy was good. I loved him. And, you know, when he gets to heaven, he's going to have special status. But the truth is the special status comes because we are in Christ. We have been saved by the Savior that angels have not. Yeah. Uh, angels do not have the sin nature. We do. Angels um, do not need to be saved. We do. And so there, there's, a, there's a whole misconception there about um, of angels. So, I mean, that's, that's just one piece. That's just one yeah. little part of bad theology. I mean, then you get into soteriology, you know, about salvation. Well, how are we saved? Uh, one of the early uh, battles that Southern Baptists fought in Mississippi was uh, a, a battle against baptismal regeneration, that you had to go in the water to have sins removed. And like the old song we sing at church, you know, what can wash away my sins? Uh, nothing but the blood of yeah. Jesus. It is the atonement of Christ that deals with my eternal soul not my obedience to go in water. Yeah. And come. The water does not wash away my sins. It is the atoning work of Jesus Christ yeah. that removes my sin, guilt, and shame. So those are, those are a couple of, of you know, examples, but there's, there's a whole lot more. There's and and we don't want to demote grandma. No, 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 no. We, I we don't want to demote her. No, 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 no. I, I, I am a grandpa. Please don't demote grandpas. <laughs> I, I'm, you know, I'm the famous Poppy D, so don't, don't do that. Don't do that. But but be biblical. Yeah, we we have to say what the Bible says, uh, whether we understand it, whether we can explain it, but we we cannot discount what the Scripture says. Yeah. So it is um, that final authority that we turn to yeah. for our practical application and things that come into our lives. You know. Yeah. So so let's talk about before we get into this next question. Okay. Um, Let's talk about kind of the nuts and bolts about how theology is practical, why it is essential. So let's let's take uh, softball in it, uh, inerrancy of Scripture. Okay. You know, so, you know, we say, and, and even more so, I, I think in 2021, you know, a biblical worldview is constantly under attack. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're really forced into this position where we have to decide are we going to stand on the book of the ages, uh, you know, to quote Adrian Rogers, mm-hmm. um, or, or are we going to stand on, uh, you know, whatever 
the religion of the age is. And, and right, right now, you know, a lot of people say, and, and we're not discounting, I'm not discounting uh, science here. I'm not discounting the scientific method. Uh, but the truth of the matter is it's called a scientific method because it can change. There has been, there have been scientific understandings that have morphed through the ages. And, and so science is not necessarily constant. You know, now gravity is, you know, don't go jump off a bridge because you will understand very quickly True. the science of gravity. Absolutely. Um, but, but in the midst of that, the Bible never changes. Mm-hmm. So taking the inerrancy of Scripture with what I believe to be an essential doctrine to the faith, yes. how is that practical? What bearing does that have on my life, your life, the church member sitting in the pew, the deacon, the staff member, what bearing does it have? Um, the Bible is true. You, you, you spoke of science. There, there, there is an, an entire scientific process by which we translate the scriptures. Um, and I say we, I, that's a very loose connotation. I mean, I can translate a word, but, you know, not the entire yeah. You know, the whole deal. Well, I mean, I've done First John. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, any, any John, Greek yeah. student. Sure, <laughs> it's I mean, yeah, that's essential. Yeah. And I still have my notes on that. <laughs> but um, the Bible is true. We have had it translated into Latin. We have had it translated from, from the Greek and Hebrew into German, into French, into English, into Spanish, into other languages uh, around the world. And there, there is a science there. Um, some of these, uh, some of these uh, scribes and monks would actually count the number of letters on a line to make sure that his copy had that exact number. There was there was one scribe, uh, and, and what they would do this little this little uh, monastery, they would copy a, a a line, write a line, get up, go out, take a bath, put on clean clothes, come back, write a new line, and go do it all over again. It's a little excessive, in my humble but accurate <laughs> opinion, but they took this very very serious, and this may be part of our, our hurdles that we're talking about in, in theology. The Bible is not taken seriously all the time. It is, uh, it's a great book. You know, everybody has one and, you know, we, we read it at, you know, we read it at Christmas. Uh, we'll read it Easter. Well, sometimes we need to read a Psalm, but there are things in this Bible that affect us practically in our dealing with sin. Jesus is explicit. Don't do it. The Old Testament is explicit. Don't do it. The New Testament in the in the epistles, Apostle Paul, don't do it. Don't sin. Don't do that. Do not commit adultery. Well, you know, that's that's a practical thing in this culture that uh, many times is just ignored. Yeah. Uh, do not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Don't do that. Yeah. Don't say that. If you do, you know, there are consequences. Um, so practically, theology is our life. It is the it is the world and the culture that says, no, that's not real life. You know, go ahead and go to church and then go home and do what you really want to do. Yeah. Play football, watch football, take a nap, overeat, whatever you want to do. You know, go but go to church and then go home and do what you really want to do. For me, going to church is what I really want to do. Yeah. That is the most important thing because I see the scripture as important, essential. And the way you come to that is to study the scripture, to study bibliology from an internal perspective. What does the Bible say about itself? And from the external perspective, what do what 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 does the history of the Bible say about the Bible? What about the yeah. translation process? What does that say about the Bible? Uh, and when you begin to to see this, it's like this, this is really important. Yeah. I need to do this. It affects my marriage. It affects how I raise my children. It affects how I go to work. Yeah. It affects how I drive down the road. <laughs> it affects every aspect of my life. What the Bible says is important. And that is why in, in most theology books, they'll start either with the doctrine of God, theology proper, or they're going to start with bibliology to give you this foundation of the rest of the... Now that the Bible is important in your mind... Yeah. Now we're going to build on it. Yeah. So 
I just I just think it's essential. Yeah. I just think it is essential, especially in this culture in which we live. We're we're like a we're like a speedboat without a rudder. Yeah, you know we're going fast and we don't know where we're going to crash. Yeah, and we yeah. and we need the scriptures. So from my perspective, uh, which I reserve the right to be wrong, <laughs> uh, there are some pastors who don't want to give their flocks any real deep and challenging theology. They yeah. are content. Um, and and notice by the way, uh, I, I did not say many or most. I said there are some. There are some. Uh, there are. And and so I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush. Mm-hmm. But there are some that really don't want to give their their flocks any real deep and challenging theology. And and granted, wrestling with theology it is a tough thing. Um, you know I, uh, you know in, in in our first go of of recording this, you mm-hmm. know I, I had said that during. Uh, during the pandemic, I was wrestling with um, Reformed theology. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think there is a tension there. Uh, you know, I think there is credence. Now, can I subscribe to all five points of Reformed theology? No. Um, but but there is a tension. There is a mystery there. And, and wrestling with that has been discomforting. It, is, it, mm-hmm. has, been, it has been unnerving at times. Of, yeah. Okay, God, you know. Um, I, I remember a few months ago, my pastor preached a sermon um, about God hating the sin and the sinner. And and I remember I left I left that service that day, and I mean I was I was just not that I hadn't heard it before, but I had never heard it as clearly as I had. And and I remember walking out of the office that Sunday, my bag on my shoulder. Just thinking, oh Lord God, I do not understand what I'm. Is am I feeling this way because I'm not saved, Lord? <laughs> you know, is this is this why? Well, you know what it is 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 that there is a reality that God hates sin and He hates the sinner, but simultaneously He loves the sinner. I don't understand how that works because yeah. I mean I'm not loving somebody and hating them at right. the same. It's right. it's one or the other. Yeah. But God's able to do that perfectly in the same breath. And so wrestling with theology, it is discomforting. It is tough. And if it's tough for us, it's going to be tough for our people. It is. It is indeed. And so first, but before I even get into the rest of this question, okay. um, your theology has morphed and changed over 45 years of ministry. Oh, True law. I bet it has. Yeah. Yes, Absolutely. And so it's okay then, what what I hear you saying, and what I've heard multiple people say, is if your theology isn't changing or morphing or growing, you're probably doing something wrong. Yes. I think it was uh, in MacArthur's Biblical Doctrine or Biblical Studies, the big his big theology book, in the introduction, he, he said something, or, or, or it was written that theology is an old man's study. And I thought, well, I must qualify, you know, now. So, <laughs> but I think what that means is it takes time to develop theological precepts. And, and you know, you're, you're, not, you're not born with all the answers. Yeah. Even if you go to school, you don't have all the answers. In any school, any Bible college, any seminary, their goal is to equip you to dig. They want to, they want to give you the shovel. They want, to, they want to strengthen your muscles. They want to give you the ax. They want to sharpen it for you. So you go out here and you jump in this Bible and you read it and you try to conform to the image of Christ that you see in the, in the scriptures. So yeah, nobody, nobody is born a great theologian. Yeah. It takes time. It takes, it time. takes reading. It takes talking out loud, uh, bouncing these ideas off of people that you know, are not trying to reinvent the wheel. It takes understanding history, church history, Baptist history. Where do we come from? What did those guys think about? You know what I'm trying to wrestle with. You know what did what did they do? What yeah. did they write? I want. How did they come to a, con- a conclusion? Well, that's not the right conclusion. Okay. Well, let's find out. You know, it is a process. It is a process. And for the pastor to be the theologian, he has got to spend time with that. So, so to the pastor then. Okay. Okay. 
That was another tasty rabbit trail, and, uh, <laughs> and you got it for free, dear friend. You got it for free. Um, how would you suggest pastors wrestle with theology themselves and give their people the theology they need to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all? Well, first of all, I, I do believe that the American Evangelical Church, my world, Southern Baptists, face a real challenge when it comes to theological training. It's not high on the list for a lot of pastors. Um, you know, during this during this pandemic, my goodness, what's on our mind is just trying to survive, trying to keep our church doors open, much less have huge crowds. Oh, we can't have huge crowds. Great day. Half our people will get sick and some will die. So this is a whole nother critter of what I grew up in, you know, as far as church ministry. But how would I encourage pastors? Um, there are always two things that, that I go to. You, you've got to read the Bible. You've got to read the Bible. You need to ask hard questions. You need to read it honest. We cannot look at Scripture through rose-colored glasses or green or whatever color you want. We cannot look at that at Scripture with a filter, a theological filter of, well, I don't believe this, so I'm, you know, anything that says about that, um, you just have to take it for what it says. Now, am I smart enough to explain it all? I don't think so. I can explain some of it, but I know I'm not smart enough to take it out. If the Bible says it, it says it, and it's true, whether I believe it or not, and whether I can explain it or not. Yeah. But there's so much in there that you can understand and that you can explain. And your people desperately need to know what happens to me the first five minutes after I die. Is hell really real? I mean, you know, I've, I've heard people on uh, YouTube said hell wasn't real. You know, this other preacher on TV, he says, you just come down here and say this little prayer, you'll go to heaven. What What does the Bible say? Read your Bible honestly and and then pray. Uh, ask God, talk to talk to the Father, Lord. I just read Job thirty eight, Lord, and I'm I'm kind of blown away. You did all this stuff, and and, and the end of Job is where I think uh, the Lord shows us He has just a touch of sarcasm. <laughs> he says, Job, Job, where were you at? You know, when I created Leviathan, you know, where were you at when I hung the sun, the moon, the stars, and stretched out everything, and the angels over here singing while I'm creating. Where were you, Job? And at the end of that, Job just basically covers up his mouth, like, I don't want to say anything stupid, Lord. I'm sorry. You are king. You are God. Whether I know it, can explain it, but Lord, give me wisdom. The New Testament is, uh, the, the book of James particularly, says if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Well, I know I lack wisdom. So now my prayer request is, Lord, give me wisdom. Teach me, show me, explain to me the things that uh, open the eyes of my heart. Yeah. Uh, Paul's prayers in Colossians and Ephesians is, um, I want you to be alive to this. I want you to see this. And so I say read the Bible, read a lot of it. Um and pray and ask God. Uh, if you if you have something that interests you, jump into it. Uh, we, we we mentioned angels, you know. Um, now there's some really cool stuff about angels, absolutely cool stuff. But the New Testament says when like when uh, uh, the rich man Lazarus and Lazarus died, and the angels came and took Lazarus, took him to Abraham's bosom. Well, what does that mean? They came and took him. They escorted him. Well, that must have been a short trip. You know, according to Paul, be absent from the body, be present with the Lord. It's boom, it's there. But why do angels come and escort? Because God tells, tells them to. Jump into this. Can Do all angels have wings? No. No. We only know of the of the seraphim, the cherubim, and, and, and you know, the cherubim's got this sword. I don't know where he got the sword. But, you know, Jump into it. Bible translations. Uh, if you are um, 
sold on one particular English translation? Research this. Dig it out. Find out what it says about that. If it's uh, if it's Reformed theology, doctrines of election, soteriology, dig it out. Who did Christ really die for? Read, study, get excited about it. Yeah. And um, you'll, <laughs> you'll find that uh, the scripture is true when it says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Mm-hmm. When, when you get just a little taste of this Bible study, it, it, it just lights you up. It's like, I, I want a second bite. Yeah. Can I have another bowl of ice cream, please? <laughs> I love this. I want to do this. Some some of my most enjoyable days in ministry is when I get to the church early. It's freezing cold outside. It's raining. It's muddy. It's nasty. It's storming. And not a living soul contacts me. And I get to spend all my day in front of my Bible with my Lord. That is so much fun. That is yeah. so cool. And if pastors could enjoy their theological training, their biblical training with Christ and it becomes alive to them, then they're going to make it alive to their people. Yeah. Um, not, not, not everybody's going to get jeeved up like you do over, you know, eschatology or whatever. Yeah. But some will. Some will. And they need to hear it, whether they whether they take it in and digest it, or if they say, no, I don't want to do that. They need to hear it. And I want to be faithful to get to the Lord and say, Lord, I did everything I knew to do. And hopefully he'll say, well, come on in, Dan. We'll, we'll get you over. You can stand over here in the corner for a little bit, but just come <laughs> on in. Come on in. You know, and I, yeah. You know, I think it's so important that, that we understand and 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 I've I've come to a point now that 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 I understand my role, and I've always understood it as as one who equips the saints for the work of ministry. Well, you know, ministry is inherently theological mm-hmm. because ultimately you are ministering to God Himself. Before you minister for Him, you minister to Him. Um, and that also means that whenever we begin to minister for him, that we realize we don't give people necessarily what they want, mm-hmm. but rather what they need. Right. You know, my pastor does not always tell me what my pastor, well, he doesn't always tell me what I want to hear either, <laughs> but my doctor, oh, my yeah. doctor does not always tell me what I want to hear, but sure. it does tell me what I need to hear, and it is not. In fact, a friend of mine is always, used to say that the kind thing is not always the nice thing, and it is not a kind thing to not tell someone what they need to hear. And uh, there is a book, and I can't remember who it's by. Um, Jared Wilson is who it's by. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, maybe the gospel-centered church or, or something like that. Whatever book it is, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. But, um, but he goes back in that book time and time again to say that our job as ministers, as minister, as pastors and theologians, it is to say to our people, behold the glory of your God. Absolutely. Um, and that is in and of itself theological because God Absolutely. wants us to be in all of them. Um, so let's speak to the pastor for a moment. Okay. Um, what are some, what are some good theology resources for him to start with? Well, um, every pastor should have a really good study Bible. That's kind of like entry level. Um, if you're going to, if you're going to ingest theological principles, you're going to get it from the Bible. You're going to get it, let's say from the book of Romans. All right. Well, what do you know about Romans? When was it written? Who wrote it down? Where does it go? Who's he talking to? Why is he saying this thing? Why is he doing? You want to analyze it to the point to where you really understand what's going on in the Book of Romans. When I was in college, um, we were we were studying the, the the Book of Romans in class, and we the, the the prof said, "Hey, we're gonna have a test on this," and he said, "There's only one way you'll pass this test. You're gonna have to read Romans chapter one, two, and three, fifty times." And I'm like, "Oh." I'm going to die. I didn't die. 
But I read it 50 times, and sure enough, when he says on the test, the Bible says, and he would quote a verse, an obscure verse, maybe from chapter 2. But I knew exactly that was chapter 2, verse 12, and it's halfway down the page on the left-hand side because I have seen this over 50 times. So um, you need a good study Bible. You, You need to know what the book says. Then you need a good systemat. You you need a good systematic theology, and there's several good ones out there. I mentioned uh, MacArthur's earlier, but uh, he didn't really write it, but he's got a lot of really smart guys that work for him that wrote it down. And uh, I think it's Biblical Doctrine. Um, it's a big honking book. I mean, it's huge. You, you have to use both hands to, to get into this book. But it is well organized. It is uh, very uh, detailed. Uh, meticulous in the scripture references, which is really good because you want to know what the Bible says about this, not just what a bunch of old guys. Wayne Grudem has a good system ad. I think it's kind of the the go-to mainstay. Um, Grudem has, well, Grudem uh, Erickson. Yes, Millard Millard Erickson Uh has one. Um, There's a simplified, uh, uh, much shorter version of, you know, and had I not brought it up, I could have told you what it is. Yeah, um, bless your heart. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll link that in the show notes, too. Um, but it was one that my theology professor, Adam Harwood, mm-hmm. uh, had us use. Um, and we were doing uh, kind of the introductory level uh, to, right. to to systematic theology. Right. And, uh, and it's helpful because it's short, sweet, concise to the point. Absolutely. You know. I mean, you have to take steps. And, and to you have to take the first step. So that's a good, Danny Aiken has one, Theology for the Church. Charles Ryrie has one. It's an older one. But again, the organization of the topics and the, and the biblical references, uh, those, are, those are mandatory tools. If you're going to understand the theology of the church, of the Bible, then you have got to know what it, this is. And these are good tools. Um, now, there's a, there's a couple uh, that... I want to recommend that may not be, well, they are not systemats, but they are, um, <laughs> they're like ketchup on your French fries. <laughs> they enhance the flavor. Uh, one of them is J.I. Packer's Knowing God. Classic. It's what he's known for years and years now. It's, it's been a staple, and it's really good. It's really warm. Uh, the other one is is one of my top five books that changed my life is um, R.C. Sproul's Knowing uh, the uh, Holiness of God. And he, he talks about the holiness of God in the Old Testament and what it is and who God is, that God is uh, transcendent. In other words, he's above, we're not. He's big, we're not. He's all-powerful, we're not. He is all-knowing, we're not. He is God, we're not. And Sproul does it in such a conversational way. It's kind of like the connection of seminary and Sunday school, you know. Somewhere in between is where R.C. is. And he tries to explain this in a way where people can say, yeah, I get that. I understand that. So those are the ones that I would just start with. And, you know, if you you want to just read old dead guys, you know, those are really good, too, because they can't change their mind (laughs) when you read old dead guys. Spurgeon, uh, some of the Puritans, things like that. Yeah. So what's your encouragement for the pastor, Danny? My encouragement for the pastor, we win. And I know, because I've read the last book and the last chapter. Years ago, when the Left Behind series was coming out, you know, every yeah. few months, and it, they, it, they would drop this book. I had a lady in my church. She said, oh, I can't wait to get home and read the new Left Behind book. And, and I said, well, I know what's going to happen. I know how it's going. Don't, don't, don't tell me how it's going to end. I want to read it for myself. I said, what's in the Bible? Just read the Revelation. No, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Well, I know how this ends. Christ is the king of the universe. We win. Andrew Peterson's uh, song on uh, Is He Worthy? He says, don't you know that all the dark will not stop the light from shining through? God is not back on his heels. When we preach, it's not, 
well, I may as well go ahead and do this. And, you know, nobody's listening. Well, sometimes I feel like nobody's listening. And, and sometimes I'm thinking, I hope nobody listens. This is a pitiful little sermon. But we win. Christ is the king. He is coming back. He's going to get us. We're going to, he's going to take us to where he is. We're going to live with him forever. Everything that he has said will happen, will happen. We are, we, we are pawns in his hand to be used by his spirit to accomplish his sovereign, loving, sweet will. He's going to use us. So, so preacher, don't think, you know, well, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm not much pumpkin. Well, you may not be much pumpkin, but Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Great day. It greater is he that's in you than, than he that's in the world. Uh, he's going to use you. Preach the gospel in season, out of season. Let them, let them know. Well, they're, they're going to reject. That's not my problem. My problem is to be faithful in administering the word of God and the Holy Spirit to come and do his work in their heart. And I just get to stand there and watch God recreate a soul. Yeah. And that is so cool. So, preacher, um, jump in both feet. We, <laughs> this, we win. Yeah. We win. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Amen. Well, Danny, if somebody wants to continue the conversation with you, how, how, how can they get in touch with you via email? Uh, email is dastephen633 at gmail.com. And so y'all can contact Danny if you want to continue the conversation. And I'm thankful that you joined us today for this. This is uh, this has been a blessing for me, Danny. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And uh, friends, uh, this, is, this is it for this week's episode of Craig & Company. You can connect with me online at craigtodd.com on Instagram at Craig and & Co., and on Facebook at Craig & Company. If you liked what you heard today, and Danny and I certainly hope you liked what you heard, do leave us a review, leave us a comment, uh, and share this podcast with your friends and family. It will help them. Uh, it, will, it will help others find the podcast, and by virtue of the fact you're sharing it with them, well, it'll help your friends and family find the podcast too. So I'm going to meet you here again next week on however you get your podcast for Craig & Company on Wednesday, October 13th as we get to talk with Mark McArthur about the long-term pastor. I'm your host, Craig Todd, and this is Craig & Company.